Oh, sorry. Yeah, you go, Michelle. You go, Michelle. A thing that was interesting about uh, at least seeing this for me was I I saw it and it it seemed to be it taught it taught me two things. One, I think of the two of them, Lily Wachowski is clearly the screenwriter of the pair. Two, uh, the <coughs> the the conceit of the movie was quite literally that frustration. Uh, reconstituting and breaking down characters uh, to the point where they would make the same commentary verbatim, not with a method of disgust with the viewer or cultural critic that might make the same observation, but instead, uh, I don't know. It was, uh, it seemed like very much a movie that was also sort of made at gunpoint. And the, the film script also explicitly talks about that. For some right. weird reason. She's, someone's probably under contract. That's usually how it goes. Yeah. So I will say, yeah, you know, I guess spoiler alert for anyone that's listening, because I might edit this in anyway, but there is literally a point in the movie where they go, where they talk to Neo and they're like, you created the Matrix, which in the context of the films is is a series of video games. And Neo is now old and he was the guy who made them. And they go... Are they literally say our parent company Warner Brothers has said if you don't do it they're gonna do it anyway, and that's like a line in the film. Yep. Yeah. So like uh, not much subtlety there. And yeah, I and I so... and you do one does get the feeling that Lana Wachowski made this basically to say you know what, guess I'll make another, guess I'll make a bunch of money again to make a movie for Warner Brothers because why not? And then maybe I can finally put the put, are, put the kibosh on this. One of the um, one of the one of the leads is literally. Uh, named Bugs, a reference to the bunny. It's a movie that knows it doesn't want to be made, then it gets made, and is very interested with talking to the viewer about that, which is a fucking weird and off-putting slash very interesting experience in terms of, I don't know, meta-commentary? But it, I'd say if you're coming there straight up for loving The Matrix, like you don't have to see this movie and you'll still have all of the fun you had with uh, the original three movies and the Animatrix. Right. To me, it's like the only reason this movie even seems good is like good in the like critical sense. Like I, I had a fun time watching it, but like the idea that like, wow, what a breath of fresh air, this Matrix sequel is because so many other reboots and sequels have been so bland that this one mildly self-aware one is getting people to really do some flips for it, which is oh, it, kind of just it is really what it is. is. Yeah. It's, I, like I, if I had not seen the, whatever the star Wars reboot was the first one, the 2015 mm. one in theaters and like felt like I had a gun to my head the whole time. Cause I hated it. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, this movie would not have smacked as fun to me. This movie would not have seemed as seemed as fun to me. Cause I was like, Hey, at least they're not doing fucking bad star wars reboot style at least they're doing this that was my assessment which you oh, know yeah. in, in 2020 hindsight not the best assessment of a film yeah if i pay 30 dollars and go to the fucking theater and i see something that makes me feel like that i i i will oh, yeah. take a shit in the theater i will lose it <laughs> yeah i'm not encouraged i'm not encouraging like, pain for the matrix for sure I, I have such severe anhedonia anyway that if something is not like really worth my time and attention, mm -hmm. it can fuck itself. I, I will get like angry about it. And that's, I mean, a product of mental illness. 
But um, I mean, yeah, I, I do that. I do that with certain medias for sure. Uh, the Watchmen TV show was the only time I yelled at uh, a television screen like ever. I will say that was the one time I endeavored in what we would call hate watching. I had never wanted to like that show, and I did watch it in order to specifically say, "I know I will yeah. not." Like I wasn't. This. I wasn't mad at the TV even at that point. I was like, "What? What was I thinking? What the fuck was I thinking?" Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, that is that is again. It's 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 a reboot. Uh, it's not it's it's one of those things that is is kind of we can't even tell original stories without having without them having to be tied into some reboot of a property I mean, like, that yeah, did not I mean, need to be a watchman tv show the distinction people um, forget they can make is like you can like do send-ups and you can do things that are homages to like something you enjoyed you can make original stuff where there are derivative premises right like the first so long, Matrix movie. <laughs> so so long so long as a level of care and like I guess uh, enough of a desire that can be clearly seen by the audience where it's like, here's what I've clearly been inspired by. Here's me with my own authorial voice. I don't right. mean an adaptation, uh, to be clear. I mean like, you know, right. you you've you've seen you've seen sort of similar films uh, around the same era as the well, matrix here's, yeah here's something i was thinking about with regards to what you just said which is like was the matrix one of the last blockbusters that wasn't i can think of two i can literally think of the matrix and james cavern's avatars as blockbusters in the last 20 years that were not like of a derivative property already and that were that were original, but were very obviously inspired by other media. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I was about to say the Matrix is like really the Matrix is a, there. is a derivative film, obviously, but it certainly took all of its things that it's that it's you know taking is... from and it put them in a it put them in a you know a blockbuster movie package, which is what we're talking about. The mass appeal of of that. Um, and I feel like it, it it just hasn't like there's nothing else. It's fucking. It's 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 adaptions all the way down. Like the Matrix and Avatar. I'm trying to think of another one. Um, I want to say Fury Road, but that was actually a sequel. Sure, exactly, it, exactly. I Which, mean, not a bad one, but I, oh, not you, at I all. don't. You don't really think of it as a franchise film because it right. so completely obliterated all of the material that came beforehand. Right. I have to be sheriff here. I wanted to draw us back to the reason we're here today the reason Good, i was gonna wait <laughs> um yeah uh, we should we should start the actual app uh hello everybody my name is michelle perez I'm joined, as always, by my buddies Ruben, my buddies Jake, my buddies Eliza Gager, and this is the Working On It podcast. Uh, we just finished up uh, in real time here, the holidays, and a lot of people have been spending time with family, friends, or found family, or sitting around fucking gaming a lot. Uh, to all of those, happy holidays, et cetera, et cetera, or belated, I should say. And uh, a common thread where a lot of us have been sort of talking back and forth 
uh, has been sort of our pet ownership over the years. Myself, I've, I've raised, I want to say, four dogs and in recent years, six plus cats. Uh, granted, uh, you know, not all at once or whatever, but basically one cat got pregnant. I had a bunch of kittens, et cetera, but uh, pets come up a lot. Uh, Jake. Here's the pitch for the pet episode, everyone. And I'm talking to the listeners. Uh, it's like Michelle said, we've been talking about doing more DIY subjects in general. And other than raising another human being, what is more do-it-yourself than um, facilitating and raising an animal? Ideally, anyway, you know, um, probably shouldn't buy a dog and then pay other people to take care of it all the time. So uh, in light of that, we just wanted to have a goofy kind of year-end low-stakes podcast where uh, we each go around at a table and talk about our experiences with pet ownership as it ties to figuring shit out ourselves, learning how to do things with pets, learning how to manage them, um, and uh, just any fun stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I kind of was thinking about something while we were talking earlier. Oh, and I I'm think... gonna make. Oh, and I'm gonna make Ruben start. That's my other point of order. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> Whenever Ruben, you're ready, Michelle. Ruben, go off. What's up? Ruben's <laughs> Ruben. Ruben has a lovely cat that I've not really known, but but heard about for years, named Rue. Ruben, tell us about Rue, including what is she named after? Uh, Rue is just named after uh, butter and a literal flour. Ruben. Just some Rue. Our little shitty cat. Uh, it was from a litter of eight, uh, from a pure white Siamese dad, and some kind of calico mix. I forget what the cat, what the mom was. You know what the mom was? Okay, she was calico. I did it. And um, of the two cats, all the other ones died of some like weird disease, or their eyes were growing like a weird, uh, big pustule that you had to keep draining. Like the and so like lost. the barn cat thing. I mean, that's definitely, you know, I've heard about kittens struggling at birth and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There's stray cats with bone in a bush, but they, they tried to save all of them. And then we got three of the cats, I believe, out of the liver. Two. Okay. So just Rue, uh, who's all black with a silver undercoat. We can pull some pictures. Uh, and his brother, Cheese, who's a white, probably not more Siamese looking cat. Also loud and just kind of fat now. I used Who's to live with there? a pair of cats named Mac and Cheese. That's pretty good. I'm, I'm willing yeah, to bet there's a lot of fat orange cats named Cheese. That's also sad. Aww. You could have named them Lasagna. You could have named them Monday. <laughs> My God. <laughs> yes? <laughs> but wait, how, old, how long have you had Rue for? Oh, it's a third year now, uh, as okay. of November. November 20th is Rue's coming home day. I think Rue was born in September, though, and spent a few weeks with the mom before we officially took over. That's Rue Origins. That's Rue Origins, baby. That's Rue Origins. Well, you're always calling her a fat bitch, so I was just curious. I do cuss my cat. Rue is on weight, uh, (laughs) I think, at 12 pounds. I think 13 uh, flat or 13 and a half. Is where the vet is like, that would be too much. So we're constantly struggling at the 11 to 12 range seasonally. The range of appetite on cats is, 
is always hilarious to me oh um, man yeah i've had cats that couldn't give a shit and then i've had cats my current cat bruce is is a literal food demon we'll get Red to that Wolf. in a little bit but uh you have any wild stuff wait wait you guys wait did you guys own cats before this i could have sworn uh not formally those are like family cats or not okay. just our pure ownership okay so you go hard into things like really hard into things did this carry over to pet ownership were you like hitting the books were you like researching the foods uh so that came with time uh there was kind of a database that helps with that i believe it's just called pet food database pet food db let the listeners uh, know catfood.com and that just has like an automated rank system they do one through ten for Whoa, hard that's and lit. soft foods I haven't even seen that um, before so we just averaged out like cost. If you buy the absolute best thing they have in both category, they're right. easily like double the price of something that is I'm sure, yeah. in their 80th percentile anyway. Something that's already like eight stars or whatever their system would put it at. Already high ranking shit. So it just helps Ooh. you also avoid really shitty brands. Like I was like, maybe Trader Joe's dumbass brings in one good cat food. And it's like, no, actually all their pet food's complete garbage. Don't know why they sell any of it, but they have indefinitely next to their paper towels. and kitchen stuff i didn't even know they sold cat food yeah they got store brand everything pretty much yeah i don't know why they do that um so just we just use that as a soft reference to determine a higher end brand of cat food uh, a lot of people might just buy whatever the absolute cheapest thing is but you're gonna mess up some aspects of your cat's health or cause issues down the line potentially and uh, it seems like their your fur changes a fair amount, or their coat is going to rely heavily on their diet. Because yeah, our friends got true. some scraggly cats, and our cat is still like a brand new plush blanket. He's the softest bitch I've ever met. Yeah, He's wet food. Dumb. I mean, wet food is always going to be good for for a coat. Um, and just trying to mix is, is good as well. So for our food, so for our food situation, we try to do wet and dry food every day. Um, so the cans are portioned out. Um, we have an automated feeder that does an eighth cup for breakfast every day, and then we manually feed wet food at night, unless we have to leave town or something. In that case, we can trauma auto feeder to do multiple meals. Um, much recommend an auto feeder over boarding your cat. Um, but that's probably a good general thing. I don't know if I should get into costs now because I ran some of those numbers as well. Mm. Oh, yeah. Let them know. Uh, so I just averaged together uh, how much food buying in bulk, of course. You always want to buy um, the largest amount uh, of a food that you find appropriate for your animal. Uh, we try to go for everything being grain free and what have you as a minimum for the food that we buy. Yeah, this is making me want to go brown. Hold on. Common. Just, just quick, not to knock you off your run here, but why grain or why grain free? Oh, well, cats are carnivores uh, yeah. more so than cats, dogs. You know, that have an omnivore aspect to them. Um, but cats aren't supposed to have bread, or they could have a little bit of rice, but that's pretty uncommon. Mm. Um, if you go out of your way to get like plain uh, seaweed, uh, it, it could be roasted or whatever, but it just can't have any salt on it or anything like that. Or you're gonna have some weird times with their diet. They can buy like little weird treats like that as well, but we usually try and limit that to like once a year or something. Um, but as far as I went in for 
Animal nutrition is wild. As as someone who's had to only recently learn about it with my newer with my newer cat, um, I've I've I felt absolutely vexed and and angry at, at, at capitalism when I started looking into finding the right food for my cat. So this was this is actually a really dope website because uh, God bless God bless nerds and people who love spreadsheets. They will take anything that is. Uh, of concern to them and make a website like this that breaks it all out and rates it all. Oh yeah, Cabby Database was really nice. We tried to switch to a couple higher tier brands just for the hell of it because we did have consistent access to them. But Rue was already one and a half years old at that point mm-hmm. and Rue just really locked into only eating um, the Buffalo, not a sponsor, uh, cat food. And so now that's the exclusive thing that Rue considers food and Rue can't that's really have wild. more than like one different thing per month. Otherwise we'll start throwing up if we try to switch. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. But that's the, yeah. That's... So I wonder if that's because he was just raised from, well, did you get her as a kitten? Yes. Okay. So like I wonder if that's because she was raised that way. Cause my cat is a fucking dump truck. He'll eat anything and uh, doesn't seem to give much regard for what, for her. For what it is with with uh, how he reacts to it, but he's I mean, yeah. we'll get mm, yeah. But Bruce Bruce is from the streets, so I feel yeah. like it could just be a mix of temperament and diet. Some people give their cats funyuns or just throw chips, <sighs> random shit for them to eat, and that probably builds some amount of fortitude. I'm not sure how good that is in the long run, though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. So with grain free diets, the concern is dilated cardiomyopathy. Mm. Mm. Um. And this is something that we've been finding recently, and I just wanted to see if Ruben has done any research about that. Because I, I know for dogs, the grain-free stuff is now nobody's recommending it. Vets are 100% against it. But dogs don't have the same nutritional requirements as a cat. So I was going to ask Ruben what what he had found with, uh, with pet food uh, and dilated cardiomyopathy and grain-free for cats. Yeah, I haven't heard of that too much. I also didn't do most of this. Uh, I did most of the just driving and buying stuff, half of the things. I didn't do the research other than just working the budget. So I just need to know what is bought and why. Hmm. And then I use some general, I use the pet food database. It's just a general consumer tool to be like, what is at every store around me that is something that we don't have as access to to make a default food? So I really just have the budget on that for linking that to cats. As far as I know, grain-free diets are perfectly okay for cats. Um, hmm, hmm, hmm. Let me see if I can find anything else for how it goes for cats. So I've seen a lot of people from like uh, PetTube or whatever the fuck they're doing, uh, if they ran some cats with like a raw diet, they do have to do certain things to prep meats for the cats. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if they make like a chicken heart pate and they throw in chicken breast or whatever the fuck they do, uh, they, there is a series of vitamins yes, you have to introduce into the meat. Um, vitamin C and fish liver oil, cod liver oil, or a few other things. I'm not sure if that would help in that situation. Uh, I just haven't heard anything about that. Maybe we should get into why that happens for dogs a bit too. That'd be good. So I'll yeah, I, I looked into this. it a bit. It looks like it's of concern for cats, but is overall just not seen nearly the rate it's seen in dogs. Yeah, um, it's it's a concern for both, but with dogs, it's definitely more of a concern, possibly because dogs just go through more food. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think cats tend to die of other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, statistically, they tend to die of other things before dying of food because people still let their fucking cats outside. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, that's a big. That's a big part of it. In fact, Bruce, my cat, um, I think is is certainly at risk for this type of condition because he does have a physically large heart. <laughs> yeah. Um, although he's been screened and doesn't currently have DCM, when I was doing some research on it, it it was like I, I think I had a conversation with a doctor about the potential of that about a about a year ago. Um. So with the grain-free diets, it's they are speculating that it has to do with the lower levels of taurine mm. uh, for both cats and dogs. So if you are going for a grain-free diet for your animals, you should check with a vet and see if the vet thinks that your food has enough taurine in it. You could mm. even vets are happy to look at the back of a, of a, of a food bag. Mm. You can always bring something in. It's much better to like bring it in and show them the ingredients list than it is to be like, well, I bought this stuff on Amazon and I use it on the cat, but I can't remember what it's called or what's in it. Um, vets are always happy to sort of go above and beyond. They are they they want to help more, not less, in in the vast majority of cases in the United States anyway. I heard recently from a friend that um, vets in Australia uh, they had not have had good luck with, and that it was a different different culture there, I guess. But, um, yeah, so that's, that's a concern. If you're doing the grain-free thing, just watch for that. It is, it is a cat and dog concern, but primarily dogs, I guess. Yeah, I'm actually going to do a little more research into it off-show just for, for Bruce's diet, although mm -hmm. he's gotten a pretty good spread of grains lately. Yeah, um, so cats enjoy a little bit of grain um, because all God's creatures love junk food, first of all. Yeah, and, bread, bread just tastes good. And secondly, when you are eating birds and mice... Uh, they are full of carbohydrates. Their little digestive tracts are full of partially digested grains and mm -hmm. um, also roughage from foraging. So that's why uh, obligate carnivores like cats do enjoy a slice of toast once in a while because it's, it's, it is part of their, their complete diet. But the problem, of course, is that, you know, you don't want to be the, the cheap cat food is like mostly cereal grains mm -hmm. and that's just not a good ratio of protein to uh to carbohydrates it's like eating eating cereal for every meal that'll fuck you up pretty good too yeah the first bowl of cereal is good the third bowl of cereal not not so much mm -hmm. um i would be remiss if i didn't bring up my cat bruce at this point in time because um he I he I've I'm convinced he's a New Yorker at this point. Um, <laughs> he loves bread in general. That was kind of a start of of noticing this. But he's been on prednisolone recently, which is a steroid. The reason why he's on the the steroid is to get his blood under control because he had some uh, FIV based anemic blood. Um, he is FIV positive, which means he's got the cat HIV. Uh, if you ever adopt a cat. You know, they'll tell you about that if, if the cat is FIV positive. Those mm -hmm. cats can have a pretty normal life. They just should be around non-FIV positive cats and should not go outside. Um, anyways, Bruce has been on that steroid. And ever since then, he has been fucking destroying every amount of food that he is able to get his mouth around, which includes bread. Um, now, coincidentally, I have been on a bit of a bagel kick lately. <laughs> um, two new bagel places opened up near my apartment in Seattle. And uh, it's like, you know, when there's, when there's fresh bagels walking distance from you, what are you going to do, right? I've been picking them up on the regular for you know, a couple months now. And um, it is a literal physical struggle to procure a bagel in my kitchen, cut the bagel with a bread knife, leave the bagel out, 
spread cream cheese on the bagel. I can do none of this uh, without Bruce literally jumping up on my kitchen counter and trying to steal the bagel, wholeheartedly pushing his big dumb head into, <laughs> into my hands as I try to push him off. Um, and it is uh, basically a side effect of the steroid that he's on that his appetite is going insane. But specifically, his favorite thing is bread and cream cheese. Hmm. And that is why <laughs> he goes nuts for cream cheese right now, to the extent of which I have concluded he is a New Yorker, um, loves bagels, loves locks, loves cream cheese, is the full-on old man. Um, and I'm hoping that, that that resides. He did not have these habits before he went on this steroid course. It was very funny to see the visible uptick. Obviously, increased appetite is like on the list of side effects. Um, but he was, he has been a monster for food. And that's something I have never experienced with a cat before. All my prior animals had been um, pretty not food motivated, could give a shit, ate whenever they wanted, etc. And now I have had the experience of having to basically lock all of my goods away in a cabinet. Um, because multiple times I will be sitting in my room and hear a thump on the floor. And I will walk out into my kitchen space and I will see him with a bag of something in his mouth uh, trying to run away from me and hide. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's my cat Bruce is a, is a great stray and a tuxedo cat um, who I picked up in the pandemic mm -hmm. after a breakup of mine left me catless. I went a couple months having no cat and decided I would like a new cat. And um, he was this older dude that was on the cat's uh, website for a while. He literally got uh, whatever you want to call it. I would check a few days in a row and he was always there. And the new kittens that they put up were always gone. And I was like, this little dude, he needs a loving home. Uh -huh. So he was getting fostered and I picked him up. And his whole saga has been... Um, as a street cat, tooth-related. So this is where it's fun to talk about cat's teeth for a minute if your cat ever has dental troubles. Um, unfortunately, he still has these teeth, and that is not for a lack of trying. Um, my cat sits at this very interesting intersection of needs tooth surgery to prevent um, further issues or complications because his top four canines, so all four Ooh. of his vampire teeth, so to speak, his pointy ones, um, are cracked. The bottom two are mostly gone. They're just little tiny nubs, really, at the bottom. And the top two are there, but not looking not looking so hot. So in an effort to get those teeth out last year, um, literally a year ago from today, actually, just about, he um, got scheduled for a tooth surgery, and while he was underneath, uh, had an anesthetic issue that they had to bring him out. So he got a dental cleaning and no tooth extraction. And had to go to the ER. Obviously, at that time, I was freaking out a little bit, trying to figure out what was wrong with my cat. Um, took him to the ER for an overnight, and he was pretty much fine in the morning. He had some fluid in his lungs on an x-ray that disappeared on a further x-ray. And since then, he's been pretty much chilling. The one factor being, he gained a butt-ton of weight after I got him. Mm. Um, I, I mentioned prior that I didn't have a food-motivated cat before. This is another fun thing about pet ownership. Don't follow the instructions on a cat food package. Uh, re how much to feed your cat. Do not follow those, those ratios that they give you. 
No. Um, you will end up overfeeding your animal 100% guarantee. It is exactly the same mistake as following yeah. FDA recommendations yeah. for feeding a human. Yeah. You, I you, felt, yeah. man, I, I, I truly have not felt like such a mark as when I was sitting in the vet <laughs> saying, well, I've been feeding him the amount it says on the can. And the vet being like, your cat is fat, my guy. Because um, Bruce went from uh, about 14 pounds to about 20 pounds over the course of six months. Um, did you ever have a cat before Bruce? No, I was like, so I did. I had two cats before mm -hmm. Bruce. Neither of them gave a shit about eating food other than their dry kibble that they ate whenever they wanted to. They were very self-managing, not food-motivated cats. So Bruce would be the first cat I had that like, truly, because he's you know, a street cat, ate it where he could get it. He takes anything uh, you try to give him. Obviously, there's just things cats don't like. He won't steal my strawberries. Turns out cats don't like strawberries. But like um, anything that he sniffs out and determines is for him, he will go after. Uh, so in the year after the tooth surgery thing, I tried to recently get his uh, surgery scheduled again. And Bruce's whole deal is that because he's FIV, his blood always seems to be in a very strange state or condition. So he always has to get a pre-surgery blood screening. And the second time he's done that now, um, his blood has come back anemic. Hmm. Yes. Um, pull up the diagnostic. We found out why. And it is a mild disease that is related, not disease, uh, virus. Um, that is related to his... FIV condition, but it means he has to be on this uh, steroid. Well, now I'm missing the name of what it was, but it was a very like blood sounding thing. It's basically a form of anemia. Aha, candidatus mycoplasma hematominate. He uh, he, oh. he has he has a yeast infection in his blood. Yeah, That's this is an infection that can cause the destruction of red blood cells, mostly in immunocompromised cats, which he obviously is. He's got mushrooms in his blood, dude. Oh man, you got the stinky blood. That's he blood, has dog. weird blood. He That's has metal. weird blood. Yeah. Um. Ooh. He was on it. He he finished an antibiotic course for that. And one of my, this is just reason I got to take him back into the vet to get a checkup. But um, that is why he is getting his tooth surgery pushed yet again. So my whole saga has been actually since this time last year, like these these periods of figuring out what the next step for Bruce's weird thing is. But the mm -hmm. whole while he's been a, like the thing that's very fun about Bruce is he could, he, he could never tell he was sick from any right. of this or that he had any problems. He is totally chill, always in my face, just trying to get more grub. Um, really like has a very take care of himself kind of attitude uh, to the point where I probably wouldn't be able to tell if something was wrong with him unless it was very wrong with him. Uh, that said, is also probably, without a doubt, the most intelligent cat creature I've ever had. And I, I definitely attribute that to him being like a street cat. Oh, yeah. And probably having to deal with very different types of people. Um, it's very interesting having previously had, uh, well, in college, I actually had an outdoor cat who was, here's a fun lesson in, in cat ownership especially getting them getting pets through Craigslist. Um, people will probably lie to you about the animal if they really want to get rid of it. Yes. Um, we adopted a cat that we were told was an indoor cat that absolutely was not. And we eventually acquiesced because we were dumb college kids and let him be an outside, uh, be an outside cat. 
um, that cat was pretty smart, but kind of, kind of, um, you know, I, I feel like these cats that, that are, that do have that outside life have this sort of inner intelligence. That's very endearing. Yes. Like he knows absolutely what a shit he is. And I know too, but we just have this process by which like I'm making a sandwich and like, I'm putting the bread down and I turn around to get something from the fridge and I turn back and he's already on the kitchen counter. And without missing a beat, I just scoop him off and I throw him back down on the floor and that, and then the cycle resets mm-hmm. and then he's back up on the kitchen counter in less than 30 seconds. And he just doesn't care. He just couldn't give a fuck. I um, think that crate training is good for all pets now. I, I didn't really understand it when yeah. I first got grim because it's recommended for dogs right Mm -hmm. give them you give them their little house inside Mm -hmm. the big house and that's their spot and i was like i'm not gonna put my dog in a cage that's stupid and then he he came already crate trained so i didn't want to like take that away from him sure enough having a box you can put the animal in that the animal is happy and comfortable inside of yeah turns out that's just a good thing to have because yeah. if you, you know, if you've got a, a, a cat that like runs for the door every time you answer it, or you've got right. a cat that's going to eat something that's going to be bad for the cat, it's really handy to just have a box you can put the animal inside of, you know? So that's the threshold so. we've crossed recently with Bruce is I have just for the first time now started putting him in his room, aka, <laughs> AKA where his litter box is and, and it has a cl- it has a door on it. Um, gay baby it's jail. Our, it's our yeah. It's 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 our guest room where he has his litter box. It's gay baby jail, and gay I baby jail. I am quite the tolerant pet owner, and to some degree, I even like I find it funny when he's hanging out with me in the kitchen. Right. But p- prior to steroids, he would stay on the floor and just right. chill and just wait for some snacks to maybe drop. But like prednisolone, Bruce is quite literally like the Hulk of of cats, just busting down doors and uh and literally eating chunks of my bagel off as i try to prepare it so it is it has been a very funny madness but um at the same time like i don't think i don't know like i'm i obviously i i I love bruce and basically want to give him the best life he can i don't think i could go back to another cat after bruce he's just like very it it would be very difficult he's um he's too smart (laughs) he's he's more like a he's more like a half roommate than a cat that's what Chud was like. Yeah, yeah, mm. and I remember, I yeah. remember your your tweets about Chud and how, the, how chilly the, he was. The Tomcats that spend some time on the street, they've got a very specific personality. Mm-hmm. They're smart. They're chill. They're confident. You know, very self confident. Yeah, you love oh, yeah. love that in a in a pet. Any pet, you want to give them that that self confidence, and that's going to really help their personality. And yeah, so. Tell us exactly the steps that you went through to get a cat, because this is something that it's one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode is that talking to Zoomers or millennials who have never had a pet are under the impression that it's really difficult or it's expensive or it's complicated or the logistics are crazy or whatever. So outline to us how you just went and got a cat. Absolutely. Um, So for me personally, there are a couple things that were kind of helpful to me anyway one um i had a cat growing up and one of my child chores was like take care of the cat so i was very i'm already very familiar with the concepts of basically clean a litter box and put food in a bowl mm-hmm. here's a spoiler alert for you zoomers out there that's 90 percent of what taking care of a cat is mm-hmm. uh for about 90 percent of cats obviously cats have personality they like to play they like to have fun but 
when you compare a cat to a dog as far as domestic pets, um, they truly could give a fuck about you about 60% of the time, 70% of the time. They're living their own life and they're just having their, and they're, and they're cats. Turns out their, their own life is, is about eating and sleeping a lot of the time. So that's just something to understand. Now, getting a cat, um, you know, I don't really know anything about cat breeders. I will just thoroughly recommend that you adopt a cat from a shelter. Um, there are plenty of them and there are plenty of cats. So I, I am fortunate enough to know someone who worked at a, a Seattle area shelter called SAFE, which is Seattle area feline rescue. They, they didn't put the R in their acronym. <laughs> they just cut it short at feline and call it SAFE. Um, but it is in, it is in, uh, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the street name. It's up Aurora Avenue in the north of Seattle mm. and um, is a great shelter that a friend of mine has worked for for a number of years. So mm -hmm. when I was in the position to be looking for a cat, I basically told her ahead of time, hey, I think, you know, I'd love to get a cat from you guys. Um, you know, uh, and she was like, well, there's nothing crazy. Like, you don't, get, there's no... Uh, there's no like homie hookup in the cat business. Just come on over and see what cat you want. Like, <laughs> like, right. like they, they just pick get up, in here. They pick up cats from the trash outside. It's yeah, not, exactly. Yeah. Not really a big deal. Yeah. She was like, I mean, I'll say I know you, but like, you know, it's just like, come on over and, and look at the cats. But um, this was also during COVID. So I was looking online and, um, you know, they, they, they did a great job, the shelter of, taking pictures of the cats at intake. So there's a very nice, very high-res picture of every cat they take in that's, that's usually pretty good looking, um, provided the cat is, is like cool with that and likes attention. And so Bruce really did, you know, he had um, the messed up fur, some really big eyes, kind of a visible scarring on his ear and on his, on his uh, forehead. And I'm looking on the website, just like, all right, this guy's here tomorrow. I'm probably gonna pull the trigger on this cat. Mm -hmm. Um, and he certainly was, and I emailed the, I emailed the place about him. Very simple process. You know, um, any, any shelter worth its salt will have someone whose whole job it is, um, whose whole job is to make it easy for you to adopt a pet. If you have questions, they, there should be someone there who's going to answer those questions. Um, but generally they'll do a screening interview with you in the first place. They'll say, Hey, what's your history with a pet? Why do you want to adopt this pet? Um, really no nothing crazy just as far as um you know consider it a screener to make sure you're not going to take the pet and use it in illegal pet fighting right like mm -hmm. they just want to make sure your intentions are good um and that you and if you don't have any experience they might give you a little bit of a of a of a more prepared talk on pet ownership um right and i mean if you're a first-time pet owner that's good. They they want to yes. help you out with that. You can yes. always be like, "Hey, I'm big, a first time owner. Big part can of their job. you hook me up with whatever resources I need?" You know, right? Yeah, they love um, that. They they want more people who feel like they are capable of taking on a pet. Mm -hmm. And the whole point of these um, organizations is to rehome animals, like like to be to logistically address the issue. There's way more cats than there need to be in the world. Um, just because of overpopulation. So there's never going to be a shortage. And and the whole job of an animal shelter is to facilitate this cycle or whatever you want to call it of making sure these animals find decent. Um, so when I adopted Bruce, he was being fostered, which is something you that might come up if you adopt an animal. 
um, the shelter will obviously not be able to hold every single animal that they have. So fostering, pretty basic concepts you're probably familiar with as a listener, but it is where you take a shelter's animal and you take care of it at your own place for an extended period of time. Uh, could be a long time, could be a little bit of time. Uh, in Bruce's case, I think the person he was staying with had him for like a week or two before I picked him up and mm -hmm. was like, oh, he's very chill. He took a while to warm up, et cetera. And it was a very easy process. Um, and they yeah. do this because keeping an animal in a shelter is like keeping somebody in prison. It's exactly. just, it's not good for the animal. It yep. causes them trauma. Mm -hmm. It can expose them to pathogens. Mm -hmm. And it makes them harder to adopt, ultimately, because they develop behavioral and physiological problems from being in the shelter environment for too long. So the more yep. fosters, the better. So usually when you want to adopt an animal from a from a, a well-funded or, you know, a, a good running uh rescue they will usually have foster people who are yes trying to help those animals get adjusted to to home life and also like if you're interested that is something that i don't know if, i don't know how often they would do like i feel like you would have to be a pet owner to apply to be like a foster partner at um a shelter but some people are just like permanently fostering animals and then having many of mm -hmm. them come through their place and yep. instead of having their own pet they are just like very satisfied having temporary pets yeah you know for a little bit at a time sometimes they'll have one pet that's you know their permanent right. pet and then they'll have fosters too so that was right. when when church Grimm was being fostered he came from a family who specialized in puppies so you know puppies kittens too but puppies in particular particularly if you got a really big dog like church Grimm, mm -hmm. you want that puppy to be really socialized well so they had a they had their own dog who was an older female and she was very good at socializing puppies and just sort of teaching them some manners before they went, they went on to their forever homes that's adorable they yeah. went to puppy school they did yeah um so when i got bruce yeah i picked him up from the foster and like, like, as far as the logistics of it, as far as like, oh, like, how do I get an animal? Very straightforward. There was a fee I paid to the to the shelter, which is how the shelter gets to operate. I want to say it was it was definitely under. It couldn't have been over a hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, if it was, I would be remembering that. I'm pretty sure. And so was not Bruce... a huge fee. Was Bruce already neutered when you got him, or did you have to pay for that? So I did not. This shelter does neuter cats as part of their intake program, which was cool. Bruce That's was great. not neutered prior to getting taken in. So he's a cat that grew up with his balls and now has a little tiny empty sack behind him, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, when I picked up Bruce, he had only been uh, neutered for like a month or something like that, probably. Mm -hmm. um, it was still pretty fresh. But that means he's got this big, chunky face up with all his, his proper cat tomcat steroids or whatever um hormones rather and um and it's just kind of in general i mean when i first got him his shoulders were huge now he's bulked up a little bit so the shoulders just kind of fit with the rest of his chunky body um but he was great and it's, it, you know the thing about i think i'll say and this is actually funny because um anecdotally a friend of mine reached out reached out around the time I adopted Bruce and was like, I'm thinking about adopting a cat. And I think this applies to anyone who Eliza brought up earlier who might be like nervous about it. Some some anxiety people have is like, well, what if the cat doesn't like me or whatever? All right, here's what happened when I uh, got Bruce. He hid under a bed in my guest room for two weeks straight. Mm -hmm. 
Didn't see him. Didn't fucking see him. Ate a bunch of food. God, I miss eating food unabated. I miss eating food and not having to look behind my back. <laughs> Ate a bunch of food by myself. He never came out for that, you know? Like, did a bunch of stuff around my house. He never came out for that. Went into the bedroom to feed him. He never came out for that. I would just leave the plate, leave it alone, come back. The plate would be empty. He'd be back under the bed. Mm-hmm. That was two whole weeks. And that whole time, I didn't think Bruce didn't like me. I didn't have a problem with that. And I think a lot of people have the anxiety that like, whoa, if my cat is hiding all the time, then I'm then this isn't the right fit. No, dude, it was two weeks of a cat just having a long adjustment period. Mm-hmm. And I, I distinctly remember there was a day where I brought in the breakfast and instead of being under the bed, he just crawled out. And I was like, oh, hi there, buddy. Put the plate down and he was eating in front of me. Eating in front of me was the big step at that point. And I uh, put my hand out and he kind of was like, whoa. But then he kept eating. And then eventually we got to get a little head scratches. And that was the start of my relationship with Bruce two weeks after I adopted him. It took that long, you know? It's an adjustment period for a pet. And that's nothing, you, you can't get mad at your pet for that, or you can't put any weird onus on the pet for that. And again, I, I'm only saying that because anecdotally, I, t- I told a friend, I was like, hey, if you have any worry about that, here's my experience. Um, it, don't worry about it. Like, mm-hmm. Here's what I just did. Bruce literally ignored me for almost for like half a month after I mm-hmm. got him. And then eventually he didn't. That's just how it works. They have to get to their own level of comfort with their environment. Mm-hmm. But once they do, they're living there. They're fine. You know, like they, they, it's just like if you move into a new place, it's, they're not animals, surprisingly, not so different from humans, right? Yeah. They, they get anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, if their life gets upended and they get moved to a new place, they might take a minute to figure out their next steps, just like you might as a human. Mm-hmm. So that was the experience of, of actually obtaining Bruce and having him warm up to the space of my apartment. And since then, uh, you know, it's, it's been a year and a half or so of, of easy living, despite the teeth stuff. That's just kind of an ongoing agenda thing. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, such a cool, such a cool cat to have where um, we have this kind of interesting, like, uh, I will be gaming late at night and he'll come up and start bothering me. And eventually I realized it's not just because of food. It's like at a certain point he wants to be sleeping near me for body heat reasons, I think, or just at nighttime. Mm-hmm. So he'll like get behind my butt on my chair back here and I'll be sitting on the edge of my chair and he'll be snuggled up. And then as soon as I get up and go to my bed, he just like follows me and like pops up on the side of my bed, sleeps right next to my head. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, we're just like, boom, body heat buddies. Yeah. Um, which is just like very, you know, like uh, as a single living dude, pets are great for anyone that's living, you know, by yourself or with a roommate who's like not there or not you know, something. Um, pets do that. The primary reason to have a pet isn't necessarily so you don't feel alone all the time because obviously like you can just you can just feel alone if I want to my pet my cat's asleep right now it's just it's just more of having um I don't know like the familiarity of having a living presence that you're sharing your space with that isn't human mm-hmm. obviously is something humans have enjoyed for a long long time yes right that's I mean who's to argue with that <laughs> we there is no human culture that does not have some sort of symbiosis exactly usually with cats or dogs cats dogs and horses are the top three mm-hmm. um but you know all of our when you know individual indigenous people on different parts of the world have relationships to the animals that come from that part of the world even if they're not domesticated you know they'll there are plenty of uh, amazonian tribes and, and nations that will adopt just 
animals out of the jungle. You know, sometimes you mm -hmm. find a baby monkey, you find a parrot, you find pigs, you know, whatever. And humans just have that. It's one of the things that makes us great as a species. We know we know a baby when we see one, and uh, that baby's coming home with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like we. <laughs> Pointing at something and saying that's baby is that's a truly a baby. universal experience. Yeah. Like that is human experience. It cannot I, be it denied. Is. It's, it's great. I don't or think you can feel fully human unless you have some sort of relationship with an animal. Cause that's mm -hmm. just, that's just part of who we are as a species. That tracks uh, largely with my experience as well. I was kind of thinking about uh, what you guys were saying I'm kind of curious about something when you like legit started to care or like care a little bit more to level where, yeah, you would do research or whatever. Would you say it was like, do you, would you say it's like a starts in your adolescence thing, like a teens onward? Is it like a thing you sort of grow with? Cause it's different than like, let's say your traditional, you know, son or daughter or, or you know child sort of situation right like well like, I think would you... it, it really depends on the person um yeah. i can say i'm probably going to be the odd person out here and which is common for autistic people mm. Autis autistic people are really focused on animals a lot of the time and there's a lot of different theories about this but um animals kind of get autistic people and autistic people kind of get animals which is weird, even even if like the autist has a problem reading human facial expressions or body language, for some reason, a lot of autistic kids are super good at reading animals. Um, and that's what I was like. So even as a like very, very young child, I was always going towards whatever animal I could see. Um, and my mom actually, you know, I was into horses as all little girls are, but mine was kind of like a, another level. And uh, mom, to her credit, um, actually signed a waiver at the local uh, horse stable saying that, okay, my daughter is only six and I know that your age limit is nine. Ha. I'm, I'm going to sign a permission form that says I'm not going to sue you if this little tiny child falls off a horse and, and dies. Oh, no. That's tight. Um, so for many years, I had to use a milk crate to reach Come the on. horse. <laughs> And uh, I got used to dealing with a thousand pound animal on my own at the age of six without direct adult supervision. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the only thing between me and Christopher Reeves mode was uh, a bike helmet, a bright pink bike helmet. And I, I really attribute a lot of my sort of generalized success in like any other field that I go into to this, like, yeah, I can walk up to a horse and control the horse even though i'm controls the wrong word i can communicate with the horse even though i'm you know four right. feet tall or whatever um i think that's important for children for the same reason i was talking about you want you want your pets to have self-confidence and to feel stable and supported mm -hmm. and very few things teach you self-confidence like learning how any kind of animal works and i think that stuff like 4-h does a lot of that for rural communities which we just don't have in places like you know seattle i, I had to learn what 4-h was by asking my mother what 4-h was from a country song yeah like what is God. that like this, they just said 4-h in this song what the heck is 4-h oh yeah we do we just did not have stuff like that when i would have loved it i would have loved it yeah so my dad actually i mean i come by it honestly both of my parents i think are autistic and they're both they both really like animals but 
Mm. My dad specifically is like an animal guy. He knows a lot about them. And he worked on a dude ranch in Montana for a few years um, oh, wow. as a cowboy. And a, a dude ranch is basically a ranch that is uh, maintained specifically for tourists. So you go and you stay on the ranch and you do like trail rides and, um, you know, southwestern crafts and stuff. Mm. They, they feed you steak and stuff like that. So he was one of the resident cowboys on the dude ranch. Uh, so he can ride, you know, and he gave me all of his information about Western uh, riding and that kind of stuff. And um, it's super good for kids. It's good for your immune system because you get exposed to a lot of novel pathogens. Mm -hmm. uh, you get a lot of dust and animal dander exposure as a young child is really important. You want those kids to be breathing like dog and cat and horse dust as much as possible because it does prevent you from developing allergies as an adult um it's really good for muscle development because you're using your core to stay up on that horse and you're using all of your other muscles to to deal with it um mm -hmm. and it's also dangerous i mean it's dangerous as hell so the the stakes are pretty high mm -hmm. And that's, I think, good for kids, too. First of all, because children are not going to die as often as adults from being, like, kicked or bitten or falling off a horse because kids are squishy and bouncy, you know? It's Ad true. Adults tend to, to break when they fall off of, a, you know, a seven-foot drop, but kids just kind of bounce. and Yeah. You, you learn is... how to f roll. I just slipped on the ice outside, and I was fine. I just went down, I knew ex and I knew how to fall. So it's kind of like martial arts in that respect. Um so I highly recommend it. I, I was never a horse girl. I never owned a horse. I never had any fancy horse stuff. I paid for my lessons by working at the stable, like cleaning out stalls and stuff like that, like literally shovel, shoveling shit. And then a certain number of hours shoveling horse shit equated to a certain number of hours I got to take riding lessons. Mm -hmm. um, so... Mm. I, I think that that's some sort of exposure to animals is really, really good for kids. I've met some adults that just don't know anything about animals. Like they grew up in big cities and their parents never kind of took them out of that comfort zone and exposed them to to any sort of animal or nature. And, they'll talk uh, to they'll talk to animals like they're people. Like, yeah. like, my, like my actually dad is, people. My dad is one of these people. Yeah. Despite that us having a cat growing up, my dad is, um, I... Mm. I don't I don't think he's I don't think it's fair to say he dislikes animals, but not an animal guy. Yeah. Um, not a guy who I've ever seen have a good connection with a dog or anything like that right. or a cat or anything like that, um, which is kind of is what it is. But I do think it, it, animals can stand as this litmus test for. Um, I don't know, like like. Almost like vulnerability. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, like, like, and, and that's just to say that, like, I don't think my dad is someone who I could ever picture talking in a baby voice to an animal. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, whereas I think we've all probably done that in, uh, in private in who, who, whom's among us hasn't for the most part, if you're mm -hmm. a cat owner or a pet owner, that's half the fun of it. Yeah. Um, but it does bring me back to like, um, that like what Eliza said about having animals as a kid the experience of uh, animals. The animals are something you can hang out with as a kid that is not your superior. And ideally, if you've been taught right, also not your inferior, like you shouldn't mm -hmm. teach the animal. They're like, it was, it was very interesting. Cause I always remember I had a cat growing up named Simba. 
my mom liked the cat, got along with the cat, was way too strict with the cat. Like in many things was also too strict of a woman, but just in ways where you, if, if you were a third party to this, you'd be like, you're wasting your fucking time, lady. That's a cat. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, this cat's not going to listen to you. Mm-hmm. And it was very funny because growing up, I would always uh, spend weekends sleeping in my basement, which is where the cat stayed at night. It was a pretty big basement. And we kept the cat in the basement at night where his food and litter was. Um, and that was where I would see the cat go like wild at night and just do weird cat, random cat things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be up with the cat at like 2.30 in the morning. And I'd just be like, it's me and you, man. Right. We're chilling out. And those experiences as a kid were like, I very, like, very, uh, I don't know if like necessarily formative, but like very important to me feeling, um, feeling like an independent kid. Like, you know, you're, you're up on your own late at night. You've got this little buddy with you. Um, and I'd imagine that anyone with a pet who, who really enjoyed independence as a child has felt the same way where like, it's just you and the pet. They're like your little brother or sister. Yeah. Um, and in lieu of, of like a, a brother or sister, especially like in situations like that, it can be very chill to have access to that type of a person. And that's like, that's why like, you know, I love that adage that cats are just little guys, like they absolutely are. And uh, dogs are just little guys that also tend to very much love you more than cats do. I disagree. I think that cats love you just as much as dogs, that's but fair. cats don't have the same kind of formal social organization that dogs do. That's fair, they, yeah. They have an informal formal social uh, organization, which you see in feral cat colonies, mm-hmm. but nothing so hierarchical as a dog pack or a wolf pack. Right. Um, cat love is two people looking at each other from across the room and making eye contact and being like, yeah, we got this. Yeah. Like it's a very, very subtle type of thing. Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, I keep coming back to this, but it is, it's so human. I I think Mm -hmm. really, you really, Mm -hmm. you need something like that in your life to be a complete person. Um, Mm -hmm. And definitely that the city people that I've met who have no experience with animals, have no interest in animals, feel uncomfortable around animals. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong and they're they're not there's some adjustment that needs to still happen in mm-hmm. their brain and a lot of them you know I, I a lot of them i will know long enough to see them develop a relationship with an animal and then afterwards they do seem to kind of mm. figure stuff out a little bit it's like they're a little bit more in gear with the world absolutely and they, they feel a little bit more confident in of themselves um so yeah i mean i've i've been obsessed with animal behavior and and just sort of observation since I was very little. I decided I was going to be a veterinarian when I was in kindergarten. Um, And unfortunately, I got really good at drawing and uh, that ended up being the path of least (laughs) resistance. (laughs) So. Um, But you did, you did very recently, you know, well, somewhat recently acquire a big, a big dog. And uh, was that your first time owning a dog? I actually do not know. Yes, Church Grimm is my first dog. I okay. grew up with cats. Um, my family was pro dog, right. and I had I had experience, you know, like hanging out and meeting dogs that belonged right. to other people. And I, yes, I was yes. in, in favor of dogs, but yeah, never had my own dog in the house until I got until I got Grimm. And Grimm turns out to be almost exactly the same type of mutt as a famous dog that my mother had. Um, whom we would hear stories about all the time growing up and actually i have his i have his collar right here 
Oh. Um, this was the dog that my mom owned in law school, where she went to law school in Tallahassee, and his name was Gimli. And ah. he was named Gimli by a big stoner that my mom was friends with at the time. I think his name was David Greenfield, actually. Hell yeah. Um, if my mom ever listens to this episode, she will enjoy hearing that shout out. So Gimli was a big uh, German Shepherd lab mix, which is a very typical mutt. And uh, he was half and half lab Shep. And I think Grim is only a quarter lab. Mm. But that was one of the reasons I decided to get Church Grim and put my bid in to adopt him is I was already kind of familiar with um, the personality of that type of dog, which is both goofy and anxious. German Shepherds are have a, a reputation which is well deserved for being bitey and sometimes fearful. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt confident based on my experience with horses who are much larger than a German Shepherd and also bite quite a bit. Mm. Uh, I felt that I was capable of, of handling uh, his type of dog. And I got him from a really great rescue in Seattle after talking to a lot of really terrible rescues. Uh, the good one was called just Big Dog Rescue. And Big Dog Rescue <laughs> just handles big dog adoptions in Seattle specifically, um, which was great. And I basically went to them. I said, hey, I want you know, kind of a, a, a service dog for depression, PTSD, that kind of stuff. I will train him myself. He doesn't need to do any heavy duty, like seeing eye stuff or anything like that. Um, and I, I put myself in your hands, whatever dog you think is appropriate for my lifestyle. And here's my apartment and all that stuff. You, I'm, I would love to meet any dog that you have for me. And, um, they thought church Grimm would be a good dog for me. So uh, yeah, I got him when he was about five months, and he was already 50 pounds at the age of <laughs> oh five God. months. Didn't even have his adult teeth in yet. Um, he's And he's ended up being a very good dog. Uh, really exceeded even my expectations. Um, that's awesome. Also, so... I just want to say, like, that's very cool of that. Like, big, I didn't know that you were introduced to church Grimm that way. It's very cool of that, of that uh, shelter you worked with that they have someone who was able to like, again, like as we were saying, people who are anxious about getting pets, just straight up listen to your story, listen to what kind of qualities you're looking for in a pet, and then try to match that to a dog that they, that they had. Yeah, and I mean, something about adopting animals, you never really know what animal you've got until you get them home. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of a crapshoot, but, you know, I definitely trust these guys who have been dealing with these big dogs to sort of be able to size up a puppy and say, okay, we, we can estimate that this dog is going to be like this. Um, I was a little worried that a dog that big might be too high energy for apartment living, but they assured me that he would be okay. And Seattle has good dog infrastructure weirdly enough we've yeah. got a lot of dog parks around lots of people it's, have dogs so it's a very funny side effect of the um what used to be a big deal type of amazon dog policy which was that they didn't have one and allowed you to bring your dog to work basically mm -hmm. without any without pretty much without many restrictions and um yeah i think you and i both live here i think it's an interesting seeing the rise of that dog infrastructure because it didn't yeah. always used to be as it was never like an unfriendly dog city, but it's very different now than it was 10 right. years ago. 
Yeah. So I, I applied for a lot of dogs on Pet Finder and stuff, and I had hilarious interactions with uh, dog rescues. You know, being a dog rescue, you can just call yourself a dog rescue, and there's no licensing requirements. There's no oversight whatsoever. So you get a lot of people who are, like, fully insane Ooh. calling themselves dog rescues. 99% <laughs> of them right. are white women, middle-aged white women. Just a house full of dogs, I'd imagine. Yes, I had, I applied for one dog, his name was Cowboy, he was just, looked like a sweet, I tried to get, I tried to apply for black dogs, but I wasn't super specific about it, just because I mostly have black clothes, um, and also black dogs don't get adopted as much as mm -hmm. other colors of dogs, um, so I applied for this dog named Cowboy. He looked like a sweetheart. You know, all his pictures were nice. His description was like, Cowboy's two years old or whatever. He comes from such and such a place. That was it. No other info on his pet finder application. And I heard back, uh, do you have children or are you planning to have children? And I was like, no. Why? Um, and the, the, the dog rescue wrote me back. It says, well, Cowboy has a history of biting children. <laughs> <laughs> And he also has an intractable barking problem. Oh, so boy. if you live in the city or in an apartment, he's not going to be a good dog for you. I'm like, you couldn't have put this on his profile? Why <laughs> yeah. are you wasting my time? Yeah. Why are you trying to adopt out a dog that has a, a child biting problem? Uh, you should euthanize this dog and use the money to rehabilitate dogs that actually can be rehabilitated. You should not be adopting dogs out into the general population that bite children. Mm. Um, and I, I dealt with this a few times. There was a lot of just like no shows and people not getting back to me. There was another one where I applied to adopt a dog that had been rescued from like a typhoon in the Philippines or something. That's another thing a lot of these dog rescue people do is they will spend tens of thousands of dollars rescuing dogs from overseas when there are millions of dogs in the United yep. States that yes, yeah. need even more or just as much help. So their 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 money to outcome uh calculations are not good. So I, I contact I'm like, hey, this looks like a good dog for me, here's me, blah blah blah, here's my application. And this woman sent me back a two-page email outlining to me that I would not be allowed to feed the dog dog food and that I would have to feed the dog raw diet as part of the adoption contract because all veterinarians were in the pocket of big dog food and were going to lie to me about nutrition. <laughs> and this dog had come from the street in a third world country. This dog had been eating trash for the year that it had been alive. It did not need a raw diet. It did not have allergy considerations. This person was just fully insane. And that is something that you run into a lot in dog adoption. Less so in cat adoption. Dogs are having a moment right now. There are so few dogs available for adoption on the West Coast, um, oh. Pacific Northwest specifically, that Churchgrim had to be shipped up from Texas. Uh, he came from a town in Texas called Splendora, where he was found on the side of the highway with his litter. But they are they are trucking in dogs from California and Texas because there are so few dogs here for adoption. Even dogs that are undesirable. And Churchgram is very, he's an undesirable breed. He's too big and he's black. So he was a very low, low desire type of dog. But yeah, even, you cannot get a pit bull in Seattle. 
um, you got to mm. ship, you have to ship them up from Texas or California. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I will say locally, I've seen a heartening amount of pit bulls being walked mm -hmm. recently. I would not be surprised if they were the ones getting shipped up for yeah. sure. Yeah. They're coming up. Um, it has pit been nice to see like an uptick in people actually just walking pit bulls around and yeah. it not being a big thing. Like I, yeah, I've, I've noticed that a little bit. There is still a little dog racism around um, mm -hmm. about it, which is ridiculous. I, you know, and it's, I also don't like the opposite, which is, oh no, pitties are the best dog ever. They're the perfect family dog. They have no problems whatsoever, which is also not true. Right. Yeah. They, they are a normal type of dog breed and all breeds and types of dogs have benefits and hazards. You know, Church Grimm is a German Shepherd. German Shepherds bite people a lot. They've got really high anxiety and they are heavy into guarding. Right. And so I, I knew that when I got that type of dog, if I were getting a pit bull, I would know that they have dog aggression a hell of a lot because they're bred to be dog fighting dogs. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them are bred with dog aggression into them. Yeah. Um, they're terriers. So they've yep. got a very high prey drive. They're yep. difficult to distract once they get, you know, locked onto mm -hmm. something. And none of these are like hard and fast rules. No, no dog is just going to be a nightmare that you can't right. ever train or anything. Right. But this is stuff that you have to know going into adopting a 50 to 120 pound animal that can easily overpower and kill you. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I look at Church Grimm as walking around with a loaded gun. He is 100% my responsibility. He could easily injure or kill somebody um, if I'm not, you know, watching my ass. So mm -hmm. that's how I look at dog ownership. But I felt comfortable with a big dog. Uh, I know how to handle large animals. Uh, all of the horse handling that I did turned out to be very useful for him because there's just a lot of like leveraging and sort of using your body to communicate with the animal, not in a forceful way, but just to like cue them for different things, touching them on, you know, the flank or like the side of the neck or the head or whatever, or sort of like moving their bodies this way or that. Um, you do all that stuff with horses, so it's it, it ends up it has ended up being exactly the same for Grim, except he's much smaller than a horse and easier to handle in most most ways. So yeah, that was my dog adoption experience. I you know next time I would just go right back to big dog rescue. Um, mm -hmm. Adopting Church Grim cost about four hundred and fifty bucks as a one time fee, which apparently is pretty standard for a big dog mm -hmm. in this area. Um, it's probably going to be higher here than in the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, dogs are not really free anymore unless you are living in certain areas of the country that still have like a big backyard breeding problem. In in metropolitan areas, it's much harder to get a dog right now. Um, and I, I got pet insurance. I highly recommend pet insurance. That's what I wanted to bring yeah. up as a, as a sort of like... Um... You know, I don't have enough, and I need to get pet insurance basically. And I was going to ask about your experience. Sure, I got uh, Embrace is the brand okay. that I got. Okay. And uh, you know, I there wasn't too much research I could do on it. Sure. I just kind of did my best, and then asked around. I asked the vet techs at the at the vet, um, "Hey, if you've got customers that use Embrace, do you see them getting their claims paid?" And I did hear from a couple vet techs. Yeah, we do get, we do hear about claims getting paid from Embrace. They seem to be pretty good, and that has been my experience. Grim has had a couple. Um, he got, he waited until he was about three to get neutered, and he also developed some lumps, as mm. labs and shepherds are wont to do. They're very lumpy boys, mm -hmm. so he went down and got all. He got his balls off and all of the rest of his lumps at the same time. 
and I think total cost was a little over four grand. Mm -hmm. And I think Embrace reimbursed me a little under that. I think it was like 3500 or something like that. So, That's fantastic. you know, something that I would have had to crowdfund for Right. or like wipe out a credit card Right. was taken down to a very manageable level. Um, and they have reimbursed for everything that I've filed for them for, you know, antibiotics when he got ear infections. Sure. And I would say the reimbursement has been on average between 50 and 80% of total cost. And I pay about $50 a month for um, Embrace coverage. It has definitely paid for itself. Um, I highly recommend it. I, after helping Chud die, you know, Nice. I was like taking care of him at the end. And taking him to the vet and keeping like a spreadsheet of his expenses and stuff because it was me and Simon were Right. Right. um, Simon Berman were, you know, because since I lived with Simon for several years taking care of Chud, he was kind of my cat too. Um, actually, I have I've got a picture of him Mm-hmm. on my Oh. desk. Yeah, I've had some lovely, like, roommate cats that I've been very close with in that regard. Yeah. 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 So he was I mean, he was Simon's cat and they were like they were buddies. They were pals. But I was um, I was privileged to be very close to Chud and Chud's Chud's one of those one in a, once in a lifetime cats that you do get every once in a while, which I think Bruce is too. Um, I'm convinced. and Yeah, he's yeah. convinced me. So having to do all of that with Chud without pet insurance was like, that was it for me. I'm never doing that again. Well, so I've that was the silver lining on um, not being able to do Bruce's teeth surgery yet, is that at that time I did not have pet insurance. And uh, Yeah. the bill would have been a lot bigger if they were able to complete the surgery at the time. And now Yeah. I'm I'm basically trying to get him insured before we go back in. Yeah. Um And I mean, he's, it, it's morbid, but he's an old guy. Oh, yeah. So he's probably gonna just kind of have increasing problems for the rest of his natural life, which will probably be for a while. He seems healthy to me. I think so. Yeah, he's he's quite healthy as a cat. And like even the vets are always like this dude, like like when he when they when they read his blood, they're always just like, is he acting weird at all? And I'm like, no, he's chilling. And they're like, this guy's weird. <laughs> That's um, the main thing. Like, is the animal happy? You know, right. this is, Yeah. I think they, they do a, they do a check. Sh it's like eyes are bright. It's like bright, responsive, hydrated, something. There's Tentativeness, an acronym for yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. So my friend Eret was in a vet tech school for a while and also worked at dog daycare. So I have like these couple friends that, because I don't know shit about dogs that I just went to over and over again for all of my early dog owner um right. neuroses and uh it was my friend Eret and it was um neolithic shepherd on uh twitter uh who has owned a lot of this type of dog um so but yeah i mean the the neutering actually i wanted to bring up uh uc davis has just released some new guidelines about when to neuter dogs and the science on this is turning It used to be that they wanted all dogs neutered five to six months, um, and that has changed recently. And so you're going to see more vets kind of picking this up, particularly in areas like Seattle, where we really don't have a problem with excess puppies. So in places like California, you know, Texas, again, you are going to want to neuter those dogs before they become reproductively uh, fertile. But since, you know, like Churchgrim, for example, never sees another dog unless I'm with him and he is on a leash, random mating is literally not possible. So for him, um, 
for supervised dogs, UC Davis is recommending large breeds, most large breeds, and they have a spreadsheet on their website. We can put it in the link to links for this episode. Mm. Um, a lot of breeds, they want to wait a year, three years. And my vet in particular, he's um, a, a Mastiff specialist. We just got lucky. He's just, he's a big dog guy. And he said, yeah, you know, uh, four years old is about the time when statistically your likelihood of getting reproductive cancers catches up with the benefits that you receive from still having your testicles. So he recommended let's get church Grimm neutered after he turns two, but before he turns four. Um, so we, and I checked that with the rescue. I'm like, hey, did you see this UC Davis stuff? And they had already told me, you know, we usually let these big dogs keep their balls for a longer period of time. So if you want to wait to get him neutered until he's like 18 months, that's cool with us. Because they do want you to complete that neuter contract and they'll check up with you about that via email. So I wrote them back and said, hey, here's his vet. The vet said, let's wait even longer. What do you think about that? Is that cool with you? And they were completely chill with it. Because I think dog rescues have worse problems than someone like me. <laughs> So um, that all got cleared by all the relevant experts, and Grimm kept his balls until very recently. And aside from having a completely flat and very funny-looking scrotum, um, <laughs> I would say that I think he, he benefited from it because it, it lets them build up sure. their muscles and it protects their joints quite a bit, which is really important in dogs like the uh, German Shepherd, which is made of tinker toys, basically. Just right. garbage bones on this thing. Church Grimm and Bruce are now in the same club, which is the, the coin purse scrotum club. Yeah. <laughs> flat sack, guys. The flat sack club. Yeah, I love it. So I don't know. Does anyone have any questions about the dog, I guess? Uh, well, I guess I guess one thing I wanted to know is just like, what, like, obviously, it's been a good experience, but you got, you said he was what, like, how old when you got him? He was five months. So five months. Okay. So yeah, he's like, you've had him for like, what, two years and change now, uh, mm -hmm. if not more. Has that been a pretty consistent experience with Church Grimm? Was he, was there any sort of like training you had to do that was, um, I don't know, like, like a little more tough or a little, a little rougher than a dog training that stood, that stood out to you, I guess, the best way to put it. I would say yes. I mean, my experience with horses means that I'm a lot more hands-on with animals than uh, most neurotypical people are comfortable mm. with. Um, which, a lot of this just comes down to the individual pet ownership. I think for big dogs, one of the interesting things about it that kind of took me by surprise is that it takes them a really long time to grow up. So they are kind of like human children in that they've got a really long period of uh, what we call in domesticated species, including humans, neoteny, which mm. just means that um, neoteny is traits of a species that keep that species in baby mode for longer than like the wild type. Yeah. So for dogs, we found out in the Siberian fox experiments, uh, which were a set of experiments that started in the 1950s to see if they could domesticate the Siberian fox and how that would change the fox's phenotype and genotype um, in comparison to uh, domesticating wolves. And they were able to do this because, of course, Siberia has large fox farms. So this experiment has been going on for decades. It's still going. Uh, this is where people get their quote-unquote pet foxes, which are not a good hmm. idea for the vast majority of pet owners don't get one. But if you buy a Siberian 
fox from Russia, the majority of those come from this specific laboratory where they've been breeding these foxes. So what they found with these foxes is that the uh, traits of domestication, like just all the, all the stuff that we think of when we think of a dog being a baby, the floppy ears, the big eyes, the uh, being excited to see somebody and being happy to see somebody as opposed to being fearful, um, lack of aggression, curiosity instead of fear, uh, interest in, you know, making friends with people and uh, all of those things, those behavioral changes, they were able to breed into the fox after just a few generations. It happened faster than they thought it would. But here was the big surprise. The big surprise was that not only did these foxes start acting like puppy dogs, they started looking like puppy dogs. They started getting stuff like little curly tails and they started getting floppy ears and they started getting uh, spotted or piebald coat colors. So apparently these domestication genes ride along on the genes that make a dog look like a puppy dog as opposed to a wolf, which is interesting. We didn't know that this is, before. Yeah, that is, I'm just trying to get my head around that. <laughs> so it kind of makes wild. sense. If you think about it, a husky is considered quote unquote, a primitive breed, right? Mm. And huskies look pretty wolfy they just sort of look like slightly right. weird wolves Pointed right ears yeah and then on the way other end of the spectrum the ultimate family dog the dog that you can take on a road trip just a goofy boy who just doesn't have a lot of behavior problems other than you know eating too much birthday cake you've got the the labrador retriever right yep so there are physiological differences between these two dogs in you know coat color uh, tail, ears, the floppy ears, all that stuff. But labs also have developed a uh, certain set of facial muscles that huskies don't have and wolves don't have. And those facial muscles are the ones responsible for what we think of as puppy eyes. So when your dog looks at you and they, they lift their little eyebrows and they make their eyes real big and droopy, those, uh, those uh, elevator muscles, I guess, um, eyebrow muscles, basically, huskies don't have them. Wolves don't have them. So they, they developed them specifically to communicate with humans. And it was selectively bred for, obviously, because we like a dog who looks like a baby. Mm -hmm. So it's it's interesting being able to look at Churchgrim, who is a wolfy type. You know, he's kind of wolf-sized, a sure. little bit wolf-shaped. Right. But he's got that dumb Labrador retriever face. Um, and, you know, you make fun of him for it. You're like, <laughs> oh, look who's got eyebrows just yeah. to communicate with humans. He's got the floppy ears. Yeah. So that's what we saw in the fox experiments. And it's only been, you know, 70 years. Um, and they got a basically domesticated fox out of it. Now, a fox is still a challenging pet, even if it's domesticated. Right. But it is a domesticated species. It's not a wild fox anymore. So those neotenous traits, they they last a really long time. Humans have a very long childhood. We're not physically or neurologically complete adult until right. our, our 20s. Um, you know, you can tell the difference between a 16-year-old and a, and a 25-year-old. They look significantly different. They have different physiology. That's true of dogs on a shorter time scale, but on a much longer time scale than something like a chicken, which stops being cute after like a week. Um, <laughs> And I love chickens. I've got a lot of chicken experience, but yeah, they, they turn into dinosaurs pretty quickly. Right. So it was interesting seeing Grimm stay a baby for a very long period of time. And the evolutionary um, benefit to this is that the longer you are in baby mode, the longer, the, the more complex social interactions you can have when your family group 
and the more culture you can absorb from that family group uh, onto a, a brain that is still plastic, that is still flexible. So that's why we stay babies for so long. <laughs> um, partially because we have to be born premature in order to get out through the human pelvis. Because, right. you know, if, if we were born where we could get up and start walking around, that would be a two or three year old child, right? That's not, that's not <laughs> Humans feasible. would be like 10 feet tall. Exactly. That would own. Yeah, we can't do it. So we, we have to be born real young and helpless and uh, stay helpless for a really long time because those years are very important for imprinting culture, imprinting behavior. Um, and dogs have that too. They stay babies for a long time. And the larger the dog, the longer their maturity period is. So some people were telling me that Grimm was not going to stop growing until possibly three, four years old. Oh, wow. Uh, physically. And that is true for a lot of German shepherds, mm -hmm. apparently. It just takes them a really long time. Another good reason to let them keep their balls. Um, so that was interesting. I expected a puppy to be more like a kitten, you know? Sure. You definitely, you've got a, a young a baby cat period, and then there's like a, there's like the jelly bean period, and there's sort of the the ones where they just got little triangle tails there's a french word for it i can't remember but it's it means like little bomb because <laughs> they, they look like bombs with the, yeah. the fuses sticking out when they're that age and then after that they're like a kitten and then after that they're a horrible teenager for a few months mm -hmm. and then a young cat for until the end of the year basically but dogs right. take church room took much longer than that uh, so that was that's been surprising um He's actually easier to train and to teach stuff now as an older dog because he can focus. Yeah, you know, it's I sort of imagine. like trying to take a class when you're in high school versus when you are in college. Mm -hmm. You know, you can devote different amounts of attention to it. Um, I I've been very interested just in observing his behavior. He clearly has an interior life. He has ideas about things. Mm. One of the most interesting things that he does is he seems to struggle with instinct versus higher thought, I guess, instinct versus reason as much as a dog can have. Sure. And, you know, of course, he's my dog, so I'm subjective about it, but I would put him, you know, medium high intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, a border collie is like 10. Right. And... God, there's a lot of dumb types of dogs, but I couldn't I couldn't pick a breed that's just like always stupid. But we all know dogs that are just so dumb that I mean, they, they don't. I will know say them. I've known one smart yellow lab in my entire life. Yes, yellow labs definitely have a rep. Golden yeah. retrievers have have a rep. Um, so let's say border collie is is top of the line. If if a border collie is a ten, mm -hmm. I would say Church Grimm has the potential to be probably an eight. And I would say right now he's probably like a seven. Right. Um, he's a smart guy and he knows lots of stuff that normal dogs don't know, which is like if someone is wearing a mask, it's okay. If someone has a weed whacker, it's okay. Mm -hmm. um, if there are like balloons or bicycles or wheeled luggage, those things are all okay. And I, I really went out of my way to teach him that stuff intentionally because nothing annoys me more than a dog that's having a freak out that's like completely irrational. It annoys me about people too, but you know, since he's my dog, I can control him, right? So I specifically went out of my way to teach him to just be chill. 
because I wanted a dog that is in, in, in horse culture, we refer to a horse that is completely trustworthy as bomb proof. And they're called bomb proof because these, <laughs> that owns. these are the horses that you can ride into World War One. And every time somebody, some dumb millennial makes a joke about, oh, horses are so panicky and stupid and scary. It's, it's like these are animals. More that like are... cows, honestly, if you had cows, you know, God help them. They're not unintelligent, but uh, a lot of herd herd behaviors yeah. they, they generally go all over the fucking place yeah they don't yeah. have quite like horses have a, a bravery to them in in mm-hmm. many situations that cows don't horses will they're sort of proud and they will fight you know but cows mm-hmm. cows not so much um so i always think of that you know the, the bomb proof horse is the horse that you can you can attach to a wagon carrying a large gun in <laughs> world war one yeah um and that's the kind of dog i want and he is literally bomb proof every fourth of july he hears there are fireworks and he's like what the fuck is that right but i don't have to spend all night in the bathroom Mm -hmm. with him you know he he doesn't need valium he doesn't need a thunder jacket and the way i did that was the same way that my parents taught me to not be afraid of things which is that if something unusual or frightening happened there was a period where I would be, uh, you know, the, the parents would comfort me and be like, oh, yeah, that is noisy. You're right. That is an interesting and, and loud and surprising sound. But instead of like immediately whisking the child away and then like coddling it and insulating it from whatever the obnoxious stimuli is, you expose the child to the stimulus and then model accepting and uh, courageous behavior. So dogs go through a couple of different periods when they're puppies that are just called fear periods where they're very afraid of stuff and they're very um impressionable during these periods so you know church was like six months old and we were walking down the street and he saw some balloons attached to a realtor sign (laughs) yeah and this was big scary never seen a balloon before it's windy the balloons are moving around you know he doesn't know how they're staying up in the air it's surprising so instead of me being like, oh, no, the dog is upset, better get the dog away from the obnoxious stimuli, which is exactly the wrong thing to do. I took the dog to what the dog considered a safe distance where he calmed down and then I rewarded him. And then we both just took some time and we looked at the balloons and we spent time there together on the street. And he got treats this whole time, always treats, treats, you know, and me talking to him reassuringly saying stuff like, good boy. Oh, that's interesting. What are those? those are balloons and he doesn't know english obviously but they understand sounds so if i say balloon uh, you know if he imprints that on a fear response you get dogs who will like freak out every time somebody says squirrel or if they hear a doorbell on tv yeah i don't want that i want the dog to be chill so i say the name of the thing i say balloon you know i say scary or weird or loud or whatever and then we take our time to just like take a few steps towards the balloon and this can, you know, it takes 30, 40 minutes or however long. Sometimes it only takes 15. And it's just constant treats, constant positive reinforcement. I show him that I can walk up to the balloon and touch it, that I can control a balloon. And then finally he gets to the point where he can, like, sniff it or look at it or just be assured that it's not something that he needs to, to watch and keep his eye on. And I did this with everything. I did it with a guy revving his motorcycle. And we would sit 
and I would say to the guy, hey, this is, I'm just, this is just my puppy. I'm desensitizing him. We're just going to sit and watch you for a little while. And people understand what you're doing if you explain it to them. Guy with a weed whacker, you know, guy with a weird hat, uh, bike. Bike <laughs> is a big one. A lot of dogs will freak out about bikes. So every mm -hmm. time when Churchgrim was in a period where he was like, oh, shit, a bike, we would focus and we would have some treats and we would consider <laughs> the bike. Um, and now he's not bomb proof, but he's definitely getting there. Probably by the time he's five or six, he will be the kind of dog that everyone is happy to see. You can just bring right. the dog anywhere. He can meet anybody. You can trust him to always do the right thing. Um, so that's been interesting. It's been interesting psychologically. Um, it's certainly been good for me just to sort of learn self-control. And in, in a similar but much less complex and lower stakes way than becoming a parent changes people, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah. I don't like people comparing pet ownership and parenthood one-one because I do not think they're equitable right. at all. Right. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think that pet ownership, the pet certainly considers you a parent. Yes. That is how pets yeah. relate There is to you. still an element of parenthood there. Yeah. It's just like, as you said, much lower stakes. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I think the number one thing that I, and I tell everybody this now, it's like the majority of dog problems happen because the dog is left alone mm. and either gets anxious or starts doing something and it develops into an entrenched behavior without anybody interrupting the dog. Mm -hmm. So having a dog and working from home, which, you know, is my, my privilege to do, has nipped 99% of dog problems in the bud because the dog is with me all the time. Mm -hmm. So I don't come home and the dog has ripped up something. He doesn't get bored because I'm always here. And every time he does something questionable, I'm like, ah, and he stops. Mm -hmm. um, and he's such a good dog that we've had several instances where we, we just forgot some plates on the coffee table overnight or left out some meat, you know, or whatever <sighs> stuff that any dog would love to eat. And mm -hmm. we will come out the next day and it, it will not be touched, not, oh. not disturbed in any way. So that's really the ultimate test. Um, and I think the other thing I, I mean, we, we got to move on to something else because I've been talking about the dog for like an hour. <gasps> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 um, we're good. Well, yeah, I think, I think, you know, I was going to wait for you to finish talking about church and then, and then uh, wrap up the app. I mean, right. we can. Um, there's I, I have so much to say about animals, but okay, this this one other thing about Church Grimm. There's mm -hmm. the there's the being with the dog all the time is the key. Yep. Uh no, that's that's my number one thing. And then yep. my number two thing is um you gotta proactively praise the dog, and I think this works for, for pets in general. In general, I agree. Yeah. For just chilling. Mm -hmm. Um so if I see the dog like if he if he doesn't react negatively to something like if there's fireworks and he doesn't growl or bark i or, or even doesn't react at all i'm like mm -hmm. oh man that was a big noise what a good boy you didn't react at all here you go have some treats or you know even if he's just being good you know if mm -hmm. i walk walk past him and he's just amusing himself and being cool and on the furniture that he's supposed to be on he's got beds and stuff or in his crate or whatever i'm like hey good boy you're you're doing it good job and again this is something that my parents did for me if i if my mom walked into a room and i was just like amusing myself quietly reading books or something she'd be like hey it's really nice to i really appreciate that you can entertain yourself and you're just you're a good kid you know mm -hmm. and 
whatever with, it was kind of embarrassing at the time but now i get it now i right. see what she was doing with animals and children um that level of like intonation is super important i think where okay, not only are you saying something nice to them but um you know you're you're saying it in a way that that sounds good like like you know it's it's if if i went to a kid and was like oh you're doing a really great job i don't know if they would think i was telling them they were doing a good job you know what i mean yeah you have you have to tell it with a with the, with genuine with the genuine the sense of genuineness and yeah. that is what talking to pets like you know if i walk in and i see bruce and he's just hanging out i'm like oh he's just hanging out and then i'll go up and pet him yeah and like that's just like like you like you mentioned that's what i thought of when you talked about like rewarding passive behavior or whatever yeah. it's like yeah just be positive around your pet yeah it literally will rub off on them like they understand approval and disapproval yes exactly and, they understand yeah. mad and happy and um, they can hear that in your voice mm -hmm. so bruce you know even if he doesn't have like a theory of mind or whatever which and exactly. he may or may not right but i i hesitate to assign domesticated animals with i don't like to say ah he's thinking xyz and sure. anthropomorphize that but I think that, you know, you can say, okay, Bruce is doing a desirable behavior. He's chilling out, being good, not being naughty. And then Jake rewards him for that. Bruce receives a positive reinforcement and will be more likely to do that behavior in the future, even mm -hmm. if that behavior is seemingly doing nothing. Right. Um, so there's this whole, like, relaxation protocol for dogs where you teach your dog to relax and then reward the dog for relaxing. And so I've sort of been doing that for Grimm from the jump because German Shepherds, if they are anxious, if they feel like they don't know what their job is or they feel like they're not doing a good job, they get dangerous. They get, mm -hmm. sometimes they can get bitey. And even if they are not actually injuring themselves or other people, the dog is unhappy and that's bad enough. So, I mean, we could, I could talk way more about animals i did not talk about horses at all i didn't talk mm -hmm. about chickens i didn't talk about all the cats i've owned <laughs> there's there's a lot it's, more to say about listen, animals but uh, i'm always happy when we've got enough for a part two at the end i was of about episode. to say i was about to say that uh, is a-okay by me i was about I would to love say to talk about chickens yeah oh, damn. yeah we could do a farm animals episode as we we do have a friend who who we, we have several a, friends who are experience yeah animal husbandry and, and would I've, maybe be I've willing to on come on the pod again um lauren from the ghost roots episode has worked on farm yeah uh, yeah among, among other people yeah yeah i'm a big big fan of the barnyard I, I didn't really understand until i spent a lot of time around it but there's like this this symbiosis there's this like mm -hmm. this complex <laughs> ecology in the farmyard where each animal has a job yeah chickens have a job rooster has a job geese have a job you know if you've got a horse it's the cool. horse does a certain thing if you've got goats goats do a certain thing and they all like fit into their individual niche i think that's so cool it yeah mm -hmm. I, I agree can, i never get bored of thinking about like what does this mean for us as humans that we have created these systems and, and yes. these systems are slightly different depending in you know different parts of the world like if you are a nomadic mongolian you've got you know usually goats yaks cows and horses and then sometimes like predatory eagles that you have trained and dogs and then they have a they have a different uh farmyard like around the yurt uh which is also um 
you know, they're also moving around across the prairie. They would have a right. different farmyard than what I think of as like Western, Northwestern European, you know, where I come from, uh, like the Skyrim type of farm, you know, you yeah. got your, your cow and your sauna and your uh, turnips or whatever. Yeah. Um, that, I never get tired of that. That that feeds into my obsession with anthropology. Sure. You know, and archaeology, like how we relate to to animals and culture and each other. Absolutely. Anyway. I, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, what a not, not a bad way to end the year, in my opinion, because these are yeah. important things to understand, not only about animals, but about humans as we, as we yeah. get further into the whatever we're going to call the 2020s in if the history If you are a, like a Zoomer or a millennial and you want to get an animal, get an animal. Yeah, just go get one. Get like, an animal. Obviously, uh... if you're worried about taking care of it, address that first. But yeah. that's part of getting an animal is I mean, answering those questions for yourself. It depends. Why I asked earlier <laughs> when you guys had like started getting into animals. The older I got, the better I got into taking care of animals because like we would just have strings of like, right dead pets uh, not on account of uh like lack of care or like wanting to air quotes love the animal mm. it's just like okay i'm gonna trust you with this responsibility with this right. fish or whatever and then it's like well how much does the parent really know about this fish to then yeah. dole it out to people it's mm -hmm. actually harder to take care of a goldfish than it is to take care of a cat yeah, absolutely. 100%. Uh, there's, yeah. 100%. there's this belief that like the complexity of the animal scales with the complexity of the animal's care, and that's just not true. It, no. it is, it's easier to take care of a cat than it is to take care of a bearded dragon. Right. You know, like it's, I've had snakes, fish, crawdads, uh, insects, arthropods. I've had all kinds of different classes of animals. And I got to say, cat or dog is still just, an animal you can put in your house you know mm -hmm. they live in your house they poop outside or in a box they very rarely poop inside unless something's mm -hmm. wrong they're not that dirty although dogs are pretty dirty they're way worse <laughs> than cats oh yeah they don't make that much of a mess they're not that expensive and they're just not that annoying you know but god fish chickens ant farms all that stuff is like you're getting into specialized care oh yeah that's work though so, yeah, uh, I, I would really like people to feel more empowered to be like, I'm going to get a pet and it's going to make the animal's life better and it's going to make my life better. Because there really are a lot of shelter cats in particular. Mm -hmm. uh, I would absolutely really use the help. I yeah. would I would only sort of interject slightly on that. I I feel this way. Uh, it's been a long time since I've owned pets just to sort of wrap this. Uh, what I would say is. Like, if you could take care of plants in your home and those plants don't die, quite literally, if these plants only, only cyclical need is direct exposure to sunlight and water. Like, I, during the pandemic era, I would not have wanted to own a cat. I would have absolutely fucking botched it. I, if I could not take care of myself, let alone plants. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have to have a lot of budgetary concerns and like, are you going to be there for that animal? Because, you know, quite literally, if you fuck this up, uh, animal will get X amount of disease or, you know, could pass away or whatever. You don't want to you don't want to just do it on a lark. But yeah, no, not at all. I just know a lot of people who are definitely not feeling casual about it. Like they, mm -hmm. they feel very. 
they really want a cat, you know, and they have the lifestyle for it and they have, they have the spare time and they're working from home and, you know, they'll say to me, I really want a cat. And I'm like, get a cat, you know, you're ready. Right. Yeah. You're not going to fuck it up. If the cat is hungry or bored or sick, the cat will tell you, which is Mm -hmm. actually one of the benefits of a cat over a goldfish or a houseplant. Absolutely. That the cat will tell you if, if the cat has a problem. Um, and you and the cat learn each other. You learn together. Uh, it's kind of hard to fuck up if you are the type of person who cares enough to worry whether you are worthy of having a cat in the first place. Exactly. Um, it's a bit of a yeah. It's a bit of a self fulfilling thing. Like yeah, I I do feel that way. Uh, I was gonna say something else and just like a, a last wrap up. I can't remember what it was though. I don't know. Animals are amazing. I, they're really good for you physically. They're good for you mentally mm-hmm. and you you are good for the animal mm-hmm. i think is is another thing i want to say like this is not true of exotics uh but it is true of a cat or a dog um or horses or most domesticated like domesticated species not just tame but domesticated and those are two different categories um those animals enjoy being around you mm-hmm. you know they're glad to see you they think you're interesting they think you're cool they want to hang out with you uh even if they maybe don't feel totally confident around you usually they're curious and you don't have to feel like oh i'm imposing on this animal or i'm I'm making this animal i'm making this animal's life worse which is like that's the big one that's the big uh the big anxiety that's the big pathology you know i had like a, a very minor sort of emotional breakdown after i got the dog i'm like jesus christ maybe somebody else maybe i took this dog away from the rescue when oh yeah, it, it could have gone to a better person. Yep, when I had Bruce's teeth issue, had the same I had the same feelings yeah. going on, the same similar feelings. Yep, and I know um, the parents feel that way about kids a lot. Of course, of course. Um, so I think a very you probably have a very minor, a uh, similar feeling. So I talked to my my dog friends about it. I'm like, hey, is this normal? And they're like, yes, everybody 100%. has this. They've got the the puppy regret period where you're just like, oh my god, this dog is gonna live for ten years or whatever. Um, that's the hard hard thing with the bigger ones is you're like, ah, this guy's gonna make it to ten if he's lucky, you right. know, fifteen if he's really lucky. Hmm. Um, so they they die young, but yeah, you do. You kind of just have to get through it. I think some people can't handle it and will return the pet. But it is normal to feel right. that way. It's normal to have that. Oh my God, I fucked up. I fucked this mm-hmm. animal up. And to be um, clear, in situations where you truly feel that way, like it again should be part of a shelter's job within a certain time period that they're that they're letting you know of, uh, probably to yeah. to handle that to to maybe rehome the dog and assist you in rehoming if yes. you, if that does happen. Um, there's there's a lot of shaming and stuff online. Right. About, oh, if you return the animal, you're a monster. Which yeah, not. Is yeah. maybe kind of true, but it it's, is really... It's preferable to... It's very contextual. It... Yeah. Very contextual, yeah. It's better yeah. It's better than that New York Times columnist who kept going through that and instead of giving it back to the shelter, just kept putting the dogs down. Oh, my God. Oh, she would have I rem- God, yeah, I think I read about yeah, that. Yeah, well, <sighs> yeah, no. I, I mean, know. a perfect example of how to not do pet ownership right Yeah, there. no, it's like I don't look at that lady's feed because it's just like... It's like a fucking honey trap for breaking Twitter terms of use and service. You're only going to say the bleakest shit that comes to your mind. Folks, we love the animals, don't we? 
we love them. I, we do we, we do uh i, I love point, it I, when i see an animal you know mm-hmm. that feel when you see an animal it's yeah. true though it's and true you're like, here's look the, at that look at that little guy here's my favorite i think this is this is this was more applicable in a a society where we went out for work but i think it still applies uh even if you just have to go out for errands one of the best things about having an animal is getting home and seeing that animal yeah it it fucking rules it rules uh you have a little person welcome you when you get home like all the time they are people yeah you know they're they're not human but they're people they have they have they have personhood uh, and I think that's like a key part of, of a humanistic ethic is that we got to say animals have personhood, you know, mm-hmm. uh, something that we've, we've really lost in white Western capitalist patriarchal hegemony is that animals are not considered to have personhood anymore, but they do have yeah. personhood. They've got rights. Um, I can see, you know, I still like the dog has rights, but. I'm still in charge. You got to Both of those things are true. Of course. Yeah. A lot of dog training is like, I can, was a part of a species designed to walk or jog after a buffalo until it falls over from exhaustion. So I can wait until you're ready to put the collar on and we go outside. I can just wait. I'm, I'm way better at this than you are. My brain yeah, is bigger. Yeah. Your brain is the size of a pear. My brain is huge so you know i can wait (laughs) i'll just sit here and wait and this works with children too because you know you just ignore you ignore the tantrums the screaming the objectionable behavior just like you know i'm i'm just a superior species man i can i can sit here all day i could do this all day i say that to grim a lot yeah um I've, I've, I've said that same thing to Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> and Bruce, when I, not when you... I, when I plop him off the countertop, I'm like, I can keep plopping you off the countertop, man. You weigh 20 pounds. What do you think you're going to do? Who's going to win? Who do you think's going to win? <laughs> my guy is, my, my guy is down to a nice 14.6, by the oh, way. Wow. Yeah. He's done a good job. That's another thing um, that I'll just throw in there. If you're, if you do deal with animals and weight issues, tapering diet, it will work. Just, just trust in time, trust yeah. in the, trust in like literally i had to wait a few months but like you will see the results as long as you measure and taper the food in a a healthy way which you can research about how to do that um it it is it is a very decent way to deal with especially in cats i think like uh an issue of of chunkage let's say Um, that's like a thing with cats and dogs people think they should be a lot fatter than they are and yes yes a healthy weight animal now Mm -hmm. looks too thin to us because we're right. just used, we're used to fat animals i was very guilty of that with Bruce. it's different in humans you know humans can do real good fat and we mm-hmm. usually do we're designed to put that fat on we've got locking knees so that we can carry it around yeah um but animals don't have that a dog can't lock its knees and just stand there and be fat they are <laughs> they have to carry that weight all the time so yeah it's not when when you when the vet says hey your cat's obese he's not fat shaming your cat it's not the very it's different. Not a, it's not a judgment thing like it is with human doctors, human doctors and fat people. That's a fucked up situation. Yeah. It's not the absolutely same with, not, with your vet. So same. try not to take it personally if it happens. Uh, but yeah, Church Grimm's real skinny, um, and that's what he's supposed to be because his his hips suck. He's got the old pre osteoarthritis already, so he needs to be really skinny, um, or his joints are just gonna turn into paper mache 
Um, so yeah, I don't know. We could do another, we could totally do another animal episode. I'd love to get some people on to talk about farms because farms Absolutely. rule. I would love to hear Michelle talk about cows. Oh, uh, yeah. No, yeah, we uh, can. I think I think pets too. Farm episode is is yeah. definitely on the books at this point. Talk yeah. more about more about horses. I'd love to talk about some some chickens and other mm -hmm. fowl. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Just the work, yeah. just the workman nature of that too is very just very as a uh, labor. Yeah, yeah, just, the labor aspect. Yeah. Just as an aside to to, to kind of get towards the end here, folks, I want to uh, send well wishes to Megan of the band Couch Slut, uh, who is oh yeah. Still no, she's, recovering. She's doing well, from what I she's, understand. She's okay. recovering from yes. COVID. Uh, yes. Well wishes from all of us. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you, as always, for our Megan, wonderful intro riff. Megan does the intro riff, or Megan's band, Couch Slut, uh, with several other folks, uh, horns, drums, guitars. These are instruments in the band. New York, those are New instruments in the band. <laughs> New York. I'm going to cut Michelle off and just say New York's finest rock and roll band. Sick. Yes, yes. Uh, our theme song is the mouthwash years by them. Uh, absolute Indeed. sick song. And uh, yeah, again, best wishes uh, on behalf of all the folks on working on it uh, from, you know, the holiday era to the new dog shit era that will be 2022. It's only going to get worse. Exactly. Baby. We'll but see you in the new uh, year. We're yeah. all, we're all, we're all going to burn together folks. On that note, I'm Michelle Perez. As always, I'm joined by, my buddy's Jake, my buddy's Ruben, my buddy's Eliza Gager. Have a lovely rest of your night. Happy New Year, everybody.